And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. High in the air. Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode number one of the Kyle Harrison Appreciation Podcast, a subsidiary of Bags and Brisby. This is the 243rd episode of Bags and Brisby. Uh, 243, that's how many innings John Montefusco pitched in 1975 when he won the Rookie of the Year. Can Kyle Harrison win the Rookie of the Year this year? Andy, your thoughts? Well, um, actually, I do have an NL Rookie of the Year vote, and um, I'm just going to put him uh, first through third. I'm just going to list him in all three spots. We'll see what happens. I I will probably never get to vote again. No. um, Yeah. A tough year to vote for rookies. There's so many good ones and and on contending teams, too. And, uh, you know, I think there's a, a lot of palpable excitement in the ballpark. For Kyle Harrison's home debut, he's a guy you've heard of a lot. It's a lot to put on someone's shoulders to say, you're our most promising pitching prospect since Madison Baumgartner. And then somebody went and exceeded those expectations. So, um, And not only that, he, he looks like exactly the kind of guy that they need to really kind of give them the, the push, the extra boost in the rotation that, that this team has been missing. Um, they look like a, a more uh, formidable uh I guess a team that could could win one of these wild card spots. They they, do, they look more like a a team that can make the playoffs now than than, than they did twenty four hours ago. And so you couple the long term excitement with the short term excitement, and it's it's just no wonder everyone was just over the moon last night watching him. And and more than anything, it was just you know how his fastball was missing bats. I mean, it's uh it's he's he's he can be pretty special. Yeah, I it was really interesting to hear Gabe Kapler uh, after the game talk about that fastball as a a fastball that can miss bats in the middle of the zone. He compared it to Carlos Rodon, and I thought that was really a really good way to put it. Where yes, we know that his control and his command are going to be imperfect uh, as he gets experience, but even when he makes mistakes, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to get clobbered over the fence, which is what's true for ninety nine percent of all pitchers he's got that kind of fastball it's deceptive he hides it well uh you know i'm, I'm trying to dig into the numbers to see what makes it so special all i know right now is that it, it's ridiculous it's a ridiculous fastball and then he pairs it with a breaking ball uh i i would hazard a guess that ellie de la cruz has not looked that silly on a pitch all year it just it broke him down in a way that you just don't normally see yeah, it was one of those almost frisbee breaking balls where it just had so much. Uh, and it's called a slurve, and, and sometimes it's called a, a sweeper. Uh, he just calls it a slider, uh, but it definitely is one of those bigger sort of syrupy, honestly, Madison Bumgarner type sliders. Uh, that, that's what it looks like. And uh, you know, I've had a lot of conversations with folks on the last road trip talking about what makes Harrison's fastball so special. Uh, Patrick Bailey, Andrew Bailey, 
um, and uh, and Kapler obviously, and and, uh, and Logan Webb too. And and what everyone keeps coming back to is it's the combination of approach angle. Uh, it, it it makes it because it's he's releasing it from down lower. It almost accentuates the fact that it's got so much ride because it looks like it's rising. Not not quite like Tyler Walker's you know upside down slider that 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 is rising, but uh, but that that is sort of a, a way the game is going a little bit uh, to, to sort of. You know, change that approach angle to to, to make it. Uh, if you can throw up in the zone, have it come from down a little further lower, and and that can really really uh, mess with the hitter. And then you've got both uh, movement that's that's vertical and and horizontal, and uh, and it carries it carries through the zone. And um, you know, honestly, another guy that I think I would compare him to a little bit is Jonathan Sanchez. You know, a guy who generally did not throw harder than maybe ninety five, uh, sat at maybe ninety two, ninety three. But just the the arm action, it's, the ball just got up on you quick, and he could he could miss bats with the fastball, and that just uh, you know it it doesn't mean you can't you can't get hurt. I mean Bryce Harper showed that, but uh, uh, in Philadelphia, but it just gives you so much more margin for error. And then then if you're like a Spencer Strider and you have a fastball that you can make people whiff at thirty percent of the time plus, and you come up with a breaking pitch that you can make people whiff at half the time. Then you're striking out 250 people a year, and uh, and so we'll see if Kyle Harrison can develop that second pitch that is just an absolute bat misser too. Because if he does, um, then I you know he, he's going to be one of the best pitchers in baseball. Yeah, he threw a couple changeups last night, and they looked like they could be promising, but it's still a work in progress. I love that Jonathan Sanchez comparison, uh, if only because when I think about a pitcher uh, who I would love to copy and paste into the modern era with the modern tools and the the biomechanical analysis that goes on now and cleaning up uh, deliveries and making pitchers better at throwing strikes and tunneling and all that stuff, Jonathan Sanchez is a guy I would love to copy and paste into this era, just to see what he would do with the tools available to pitchers now and it's almost like Kyle Harrison is that example uh it's in, you know maybe not a perfect comparison but I, I think that's a really good comp yeah and, and Harrison I think has more going for him physically he's obviously mm-hmm. much more physical uh there's a little more athleticism in his delivery um and you know durability I think is, is probably going to be a little less of a question for him than it would have been for Sanchez it's a, it's a question for every young pitcher obviously uh the problem with Sanchez um, was he he had a hard time coming up with a breaking ball he could throw consistently because his hands were really kind of slender and uh, so he would get on the side of his of his slider a lot hmm. and uh, Burt Bradley longtime Giants pitching coordinator uh, worked with him on a, a spike curve and that was really uh, I guess the, the second pitch that he needed and that's what he was throwing uh, along with his slider uh, when he would strike it and then and then the fastball and that's what. Uh, really put him on on uh, that run that he had. It wasn't a run that lasted forever. It wasn't a run that lasted multiple years. But, you know, obviously uh, he clicked for them when they really needed him in 2010 and um, and, and, and then before that in 20, 2009 when he threw the no-hitter. So, uh, but Kyle Harrison, I think, has has a little bit more of a, uh, I guess Dick Tidger would have called him a, a big equipment guy. He's, he's <laughs> a, he definitely has sort of that pitcher's torso and strong legs. And, um, and he, gosh, he's 22 years old and, and and here he is, you know, striking out the first five batters he faces in his first game in San Francisco. And even he was a little overwhelmed by by everything, and, and it exceeded his expectations. So, um, you know, yeah, just a very very exciting day for for the organization, for his family, um, and uh, and obviously for Giants fans. 
We are uh, co-workers and uh, colleagues, but I got to tell you, I get excited when something like that happens. And I get excited that I get to read what you write about it because I, I think you captured it just brilliantly. Uh, so everyone, if you haven't read uh, uh, Bags on Kyle Harrison's home debut, go do it because it was it was fantastic. You set the scene so darn well. So I just wanted to say that on the pod. Oh, thank you. Anytime I can get a pregnancy story in the lead, I, I, I try to do it. <laughs> Uh, compare that and contrast it to uh, all of the research that I did talking about how Kyle Harrison wasn't going to go deep into games, how he was going to be a short burst weapon that was proven false, laughably so, like two hours later. Uh, I feel like I should take some credit for that. But do you think that he's going to pitch deep into games? It sounded like after the game, like Kapler's like, yeah, you know, this is what he's going to do, which to me is bonkers because his pitch count high was 81 pitches this year in the minor leagues. I just wasn't expecting this at all. Yeah, I think when he came up for the sixth, I was like, oh, interesting. He only pitched five innings once in the minor leagues this season. But, you know, I think there's something to be said for there's only so much value in using your bullets in the minor leagues when they're better served using them in the big leagues when you can impact big league games. And they got him ready to be at a 90-pitch level uh, when when he made his debut. They were moving toward that, and then he had the hamstring. So I think the only reason that he was limited to 65 or so pitches in Philly was because he did miss that month uh, with the hamstring strain. And I did hear that he would have been at 90 for his first start if he hadn't missed that time. So it took him one start to build right back up to that level. And I mean, I didn't see a whole lot of drop off in stuff. Maybe an easy bit in command, but he looked pretty strong still in the seventh inning. And when he came out, I mean, the, the fans, it was a mix of cheers and what are we seeing? Wait, he's going back <laughs> out there again? Really? And and when, when Gabe Kapler took him out, uh, Harrison, of course, got a huge ovation in the seventh. But then after Ryan Walker took them out and Kapler walked back to the dugout, there was another sort of second ovation. It wasn't super as loud, but uh, there was a recognition in the ballpark applauding Gabe Kapler for letting him see a little more Kyle Harrison. And I think that really showed that, you know, there was a quote that Andrew Bailey gave me after the first game in, in Philly and uh, it was something to the effect of, well, you know, we think he can be a really good, you know, 200 inning pitcher in this league, like Webb and Cobb. But, but it remains to be seen. He could, he could impact us in other ways too. And I heard from some people, both inside and outside the organization, and and the reaction to that was, what are we doing here? No, no, this guy is a starting pitcher. This guy is one of the best starting pitching prospects in baseball. You don't limit that by making him a bulk guy or whatever the heck their other plans might be. And you wondered if, if that's what they were prepping him for, if that's what all of this was leading up to. But you know, I, I think that uh, um, they obviously showed that, that that they're no dummies. They see this guy as, as the best option pretty much to face the next hitter almost all the time, just how they see Logan Webb. So, um, you know, that was that was certainly, I think, uh, um, refreshing for a lot of people and, and very illustrative uh, that, that this is how they see Kyle Harrison as a top of the rotation starter. And they're not going to kind of limit or pigeonhole his development into, you know, something smaller because it fits, you know, their their opener scheme. Yeah, unfortunately, that is uh, exactly the opposite of what I wrote yesterday. <laughs> I spent a lot of time researching that, but it just seems like, uh, no, it, that he, he does have that strong pitcher's frame. You have to wonder what why they were so cautious with him, but it's not just him. It's everyone. It's Mason Black. It's Carson Wisenhunt. It's uh, all of these pitchers. No, they're, none of them are getting into the sixth inning, the seventh inning. Uh, most teams in baseball aren't doing that with their starters. So I guess that is something that teams feel more comfortable 
teaching in the majors when they've got the the major league coaching staff and and the the support to help them do that in the majors. I guess that's the way that baseball's shifting now. But I was really surprised to see him go long into games, and then afterward, everyone's just saying, "Yeah, yeah, that's what he does. He's a starting pitcher." What you thought we we're going to pull him out for four innings because that's what we did every game this year? No, no, he's a starting pitcher. That's what he does. Yeah, I wonder if you can draw some analogies to training for a marathon because you don't run a marathon to train for a marathon. Mm. The most you might go is, what, maybe 18 miles, maybe even a half marathon, maybe 20. Um, because I think that the, the you really break down more, more and more muscle fibers that in the last, uh, um, you know, third or, or, or quarter of, of, of that race. And, and there may be some analogies there that, you know, hey, we, we don't really see the value in having a guy throw pitches number 80 to 100 plus in the minor leagues, um, we would rather just get them built up to, you know, a level where we think it's much more sustainable. There's much less likely to be attrition with injuries and we get into the big leagues and then we find out what we have. And, and then we, you know, make it a, a start to start determination and, 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 and think about letting them go a little further if, if, if the pitcher is able to do that and maintain their stuff. And, uh, that, that may be just the way that pitching development is, is, is moving. I think it pretty clearly is because a lot of teams are doing it that way, not just the giants. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct TV satellite free. Hey Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get direct TV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream direct TV over the internet now. Oh sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream direct TV without a satellite dish. Call one eight hundred direct TV. Terms or restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Well, I'm sure that you, like me, hear uh, some of the discontent from Giants fans when things aren't going right. Uh, this team has been a little difficult to watch since the All-Star break, but I do want to point out that with Harrison and with, you mentioned Ryan Walker coming in to relieve him, with Patrick Bailey, with Wade Meckler now has an on, last time we talked, he was in the toilet, now his on-base percentage is 415, he's hitting 294, he's looking like a dude. Uh, Luis Matos has looked overmatched, but at the same time, he's also looked like a future major leaguer. You don't get these kind of rookie waves that often, and I get that it's easy to be grumpy about the Giants when they're losing, but 
think the rookies can help people get some perspective because this is shaping up to be a pretty cool season, even if they don't make the postseason. Just having this sort of rookie wave and being able to project a little bit into the future and saying, you know, if this happens, if this domino falls, if this, that's pretty cool. And it's not something Giants fans are used to. Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, you know, obviously you, you want to try to develop role players. You want to try to develop bullpen arms. I mean, your system uh, is always going to turn players like that. But, you know, it's the everyday position players that I think are the ones who end up really turning the, the fortunes of a franchise. And you know, I think you could point to Patrick Bailey as being someone who is a pretty, um, pretty, I guess, pretty likely to, to be looked at that way, given the way he's played and, and the way he contributes both ways. Um you know, and they still need to to establish some more and get some some uh, some people in the middle of that lineup that you know you can put in the lineup every day. And I don't think they're going to get to the point where they're the Braves or the Dodgers until they have those kinds of players. But you know, for now, this is uh, they're getting a lot of contributions. I, I, like you said, Wade Meckler. I think it would be malpractice if we didn't mention that, that he's really turned it around uh, after you know the optics were so bad and we basically were you know saying this guy doesn't belong in the big leagues after a handful of games and. You know, the Giants preached a lot of patience with him, and uh, it looks like their patience is, is paying off. Yeah, to be clear, you when you say we were saying that, we weren't saying that. Other people were saying that. Uh, I believe we left it last week. Both of us were like, yeah, he's probably going to be fine. He's not going to he's not going to strike out two times every every game and he's going to start hitting the hits are going to fall in. Uh, so since that podcast, uh, let me let me just do a quick Sort since our last episode, he's hitting 667 with a 786 on base percentage. I I feel like we did that. Yeah, that that's that's okay. That'll work. That's that's one way to change the conversation. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's it, the other thing that's crazy is I looked at the game notes yesterday and it said probable starters and it had three names listed there: Kyle Harrison, Alex Cobb, and uh, Logan Webb. And I can't what? remember the last time I saw the game notes. <laughs> And there wasn't a TBA or a TBD on there. So you could argue that Chris, uh, Tristan Beck really deserves to start as well. So are they going to be a conventional rotation down the stretch? Shut the front door. No to be announced. Oh, my goodness. Uh, in, and I'll go one further. Sean Manaya, I think, has he's done enough to me to want to have him in the rotation, get him on a routine. I know that he's he told you that he feels fresher than he ever has, and he doesn't mind the role so much. But I do think that as of right now, he is one of the Giants' five best starting pitcher options. And I don't I'm trying to think of who I would put above him. I think it's Webb, Cobb, Harrison, uh, Manaya, and then Tristan Beck. And you can go on from there. But I do think he's one of the best starters the Giants have available. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Ross Stripling is on his way back and, and it's been an up and down year for him and really hasn't gotten in a groove all year. Um, and, uh, you know, they've got Keaton Wynn, who's back pitching at AAA. Uh, we may see him again. Um, but uh, you know, and there's other. We keep forgetting about John Brebbia, how good he was as an opener, mm-hmm. and and he's coming back pretty soon. Uh, we're going to see Mitch Haniger, Mike Yastrzemski coming back pretty soon. Conforto was obviously out again, but um, uh, yeah, I mean they still have some levers to pull, I suppose, in terms of people that they may be getting back, and um, and it, it's uh, it's kind of funny. You know, AJ Pollock is is uh, is making strides as well, and I was watching him run the bases, and he's still like the second fastest guy they have after maybe uh, Tyro Estrada. And he's like, you know, in his mid thirties, but he's such a good athlete. And 
I said, you know, it's it's too bad that there's not just like standard 40-man rosters in September anymore. You can only call up a couple extra because you could be working your way back on the hitting front and on the, on the um, you know, throwing front with your oblique. But you could be on the roster as a pinch runner at least and, and do that. And he looked at me and he's like, I'm glad we don't have full 40-man rosters available for people to call up. Because I played against Bruce Bochy too many times when he used like 11 <laughs> pitchers in a nine-inning game. And I said, buddy... I covered all those games, so I know I know of what you speak. Oh man, I can't I, I can't remember who was texting me about this real recently about what's Bruce Bochy doing? It's uh, the Rangers are up by seven runs, and he's making a pitching change in in the ninth inning. And I said, Oh, buddy, that is that's his signature. I do not miss that one bit. And it was worse when the Giants weren't contending, and they would be down by seven runs and in the top of the ninth inning he'd come out there to play the lefty righty game and that that was hard baseball to watch pre-pitch clock you're an hour maybe three and a half or four of a game that you just want to die and he would come out there and he's playing the matchups because you never know that i i kind of miss it i kind of miss it i really don't but i kind of miss it you know there was a game at fenway toward the end of 2019 and the giants are not in it it's like a late mid-September 2019 at Fenway. And it was a six-hour game, 15 innings, 24 pitchers used. And the Giants uh, used more pitchers than any team in history. And we told Bochi after the game, and he was legitimately proud of it. He's like, we did it, guys. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's like he was really, really proud of that. So um, I, I, I hope I never see a game like that again. I don't think it's gonna. I'm going to ever cover a six-hour game again but uh, with the pitch clock. Um, but it is interesting. I mean, hey. Bruce Bochy seems to be doing okay with the three batter rule uh, now that he's got to deal with it in Texas. It seems to, seems like he's made an adjustment, and uh, I think we're all grateful for that. Yeah, I do. It, I will say, though, that I don't like the uh, the limited active roster in September compared to years past. I liked when they would just bring up uh, the kitchen sink, and you got to see some players who maybe you wouldn't have seen otherwise. You know, the Giants could offer, I don't know, Bryce Johnson as a pinch hitter, as a, as a pinch runner, as a stolen base threat, just to name one example. Uh, I do wonder what the roster crunch is going to do. You mentioned A.J. Pollock. I don't see his role with the team, really. I just don't see how he fits on an active roster, assuming that everyone who is coming back does come back, stays healthy. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, Luis Matos, Eli uh, Ramos, of course. I'm trying to figure out how they're going to make this work. The answer is usually baseball sorts it out for you and someone else gets hurt. But I'm wondering how they're going to fit all these guys on the active roster. Yeah, it's true. It, it does seem like it's going to be hard to fit Pollock and Hanniger, especially on the roster. Um, you know, they have a lot of guys with options, a lot of rookies, um, you know, but do they want Luis Matos in the big leagues? Because he does, he, he really has turned into a pretty good force against left-handed pitching. And I think that the uh, coaching staff has kind of taken notice of that ever since the game in Atlanta when he had really good at-bats against Max Fried. I mean, they've, they've used him to pinch hit for Conforto. Turns out he was hurt. They've pinched hit him for Jock. I mean, he's, he's one of their better bats off the bench against uh, left-handed pitching right now. So... You know, do you send him out and, and when uh, Mitch Hanniger is ready? I, I don't know. I, I don't think it's uh, we can expect Mitch Hanniger to hit the ground running after all the time he's missed. So it's it's going to be a little bit tricky to see if they how they evaluate who their best uh, collection of 26 and in a couple of days, 28 players that really is. Yeah, I'm fascinated because I really have no idea 
how much Mitch Haniger and Mike Estremski can help this team. I mean, I mean, I have an idea, but the spectrum is so wide and so vast. I know you can't expect Haniger to hit the ground running, but what if he does? And Mike Estremski, you know, he can get on those streaks and where he's giving you good at bats every time out and helping the team win with all the little things. I just, I do wonder how much of a sneaky addition those two can be because it's, it's, Fairly easy to forget about, especially Haniger, because he's been gone for so long. But they gave him a lot of money to hit dingers and be good at baseball. And there's a chance that he can still do that in September. Yeah. And, you know, I think one of the biggest things we've seen from this offense is the lineups turning around. You know, they, they had the worst OPS in baseball from the 7 8 9 spots uh, heading into Atlanta. And the Braves had the best. And, and now you're seeing, I think Wade Meckler's a big part of that, uh, whether it's Paul DeYoung at the bottom of the order. He's had a couple of hits. Um, Obviously, hit one big home run for them. Uh, that, that's that's starting to change a little bit, and um, you know whether that production comes from homers or just from you know having a, sort of I guess a high traffic innings where where you put uh, you put the hits together. Um, you know, they're, they're pitching. They still have I think can out pitch a lot of teams and and out scheme them on the days when they don't have a Weber Cobb on the mound. So um, you know, and and you look at the schedule now, and and it's. You know they're they're still playing good teams. The Reds are are a team that's right there in playoff position. They're going to face the Cubs. They've got seven left against the Dodgers, but they're through the run of playing the teams with really good offenses. And I think those are the teams that they match up the worst against. Mm. Uh, whether it's the Braves, the Rangers, the Rays, the Phillies, they played 15 games against all those teams and lost two of three in each of those series. So they went five and ten, and that wasn't great, but it also wasn't maybe that crippling. I mean, it didn't totally tank their playoff aspirations. And now you get into series where they have to win them. I mean, they have to win this series against the Reds because they entered 2-2 two and two against them. The winner of this series will win the tiebreaker head-to-head, and all ties are, are not played off on the field anymore. So, you know, you could have a situation where the Giants uh, uh, lose a season series to a team, finish third for the wild card with an identical record, and just like 2020 when they tied with the Brewers but went, but went home, uh, they, they won't make the postseason. So, you know, whether it's... Uh, the Reds winning this series or finding a way to take, if they take two of three in, in Wrigley, they'll split that series because they're down one, two right now to the Cubs. Um, and then the, the second tiebreaker is after head to head record is record within your division. So that would be the Giants against the NOS versus let's say the Marlins. They're three and three against the Marlins and the Marlins, uh, you compare that record to the, the Marlins record against the, the NL East. And then the Giants are pretty good on that score. They're 18 and 11 uh, in the wow. division, but they have 23 games left in the division. So um, this is going to be a pretty important uh, strength, uh, swath of the schedule. And they just got to win series. They got to get as many of these tiebreakers as they can. Yeah. It's wild that for the uh, uh, balanced schedule and you get used to seeing all these different teams or whether it's the Rays or the Phillies uh, more often than the Diamondbacks or the Rockies, their last, what am I looking at? Uh, last like 15 games or so are all NL West. You've got four in Colorado. You've got uh, going to Arizona. You got four Dodger stadium. Then you come back and you've got three against the Padres and another three against the Dodgers. That's like old times. I kind of, I'm a little upset that they're not closer to the Dodgers for the division because that's a very, very classic finish to the season. Yeah, well, you know, Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman went and, and decided that they were going to challenge Acuna and, and Olsen for the MVP, and, and the Dodgers just took off, and they, they you know, put the pedal to the metal, and, and, and away they go. Um, but one, one other tiebreaker I should mention is the Diamondbacks. Uh, there's only two games left against Arizona. They're both in Arizona. Uh, you mentioned they're in the middle of that last road trip. 
in September, and the Giants right now are six and five against them. So mm. one one would split the series, and uh, and two would uh, would would obviously get them the tiebreaker. All right. Before we go, I just want to pick your brain. Who, sh- where should I send the letter? I want to write a letter complaining that the the Giants game at Wrigley Field is it's a Monday through Wednesday series. I look forward every year to having a Friday day game, and then you have Friday night uh, to not watch baseball. I love watching baseball. I love watching it on Friday nights. But once a year, I like the idea of a Friday night that's baseball free for me. I'm very upset that it's a Monday through Wednesday series. Again, it feels like this is a couple years in a row. Uh, Who do I write the letter to? Well, um, you do have to maybe keep in mind that before the A's series, which was a Saturday-Sunday, the Giants did have a Friday completely off earlier this year. That was rare. So maybe that'll uh, uh, assuage you a little bit. But, um, you know, the the problem with the Cubs series for for us beat writers is uh, the, the first game of the series is almost always a day game. So... It's not too fun to get from a day game in San Diego to a day game in Chicago flying commercially. Um, I actually won't be in Chicago. It crushes me, but but I'll just be in San Diego on that on that road trip. And uh, but I think some of the other writers are are taking red eyes because you, you got to. Uh, obviously, the team doesn't have to do that, but uh, they're on a charter flight. But yeah, it's it's uh, it's going to be a year with no baseball at Wrigley Field for me, which is uh, that's that seems that seems wrong. That seems wrong. Yeah. That does seem wrong. Uh, and also bring back the days where uh, the riders would be on the the plane with the uh, the the team getting drunk uh, with all all of them. I think that's that's what we need to get back to. Agree, disagree. Uh, well, only uh, I mean, do do we have to bring back the smoking section too in the last three rows of the plane? Which... <laughs> if we if we get the bigger seats from back then, yeah, yeah, I think uh, planes plane travel was a lot better back then, except for uh, the limited safety features. All of our listeners who are under the age of 40 have no idea what we're talking about. But I, I do remember being on a plane and there was like the last four rows was the smoking section. And there was this little like dainty gauzy curtain that they would put there. And it did nothing. I mean, the nothing. whole cabin would smell like cigarette smoke. It's like the most dumb thing ever that you could actually think, oh, well, let's, well, let's just put the smokers in one section and it'll be fine. <laughs> All right. This has been episode number 243 of the Bags and Brisbee podcast. We will be back next week. We'll see if Wade Meckler is hitting 400. Uh, we'll see if Kyle Harrison can keep striking the world out, and uh, it should be exciting. So we'll see you then. Thanks for listening.